thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for tuning in, logging in. Let me get the right vernacular here um, onto our social media platforms, wherever you're watching our live stream this morning. Thank you for being with us. We invite you into our worship and the presence of the Lord here together today. This morning is our second installment in a series called Dig Down Deeper. We spent a few Sundays talking about Get Back In. And let me just say, um, you know, designate any one of these upcoming Sundays you would like to as Back to Church Sunday. God knows you've been back to everywhere else. You, you go to Walmart, you go all these other places. How many of you know it's time to get back into the house of the Lord? Somebody say amen. amen. All right, shake yourself, you know. I know it's easy at home to just uh, get acquainted and the, learn, love the convenience of watching it in your PJs. But you know what? There's nothing like, let me just, let me make you a little bit jealous. There's nothing like the fellowship, the care, just the, 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 the camaraderie. The French called it the esprit de corps. That's the spirit of the group, the spirit of the, the, the camp that is in Victory Church. It's not just friendly and loving, but it's also faith building and strengthening that's in this room. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, today, second in this series called Dig Down Deeper, we looked last week in the principle of the yoke and we talked about the Middle Eastern principle of following a teacher and just doing life day to day, working and walking with and watching how Jesus did what he did. Jesus did his mighty feats. He lived life. He loved the unlovable. Uh, somebody said uh, on a meme I saw this week, said, you know, if Jesus were here, he would social distance. And the person responded, said, dude, Jesus touched lepers. Are you kidding me? <laughs> kind of puts stuff in perspective, doesn't it? Now, we're not, I know we're not Jesus, but we've got Jesus in us. We want to use wisdom and be mindful, but also trust him and walk in faith. Come on, somebody. And so this morning, as we open the word together, we're going to look at the text that we began with last Sunday. I'm not going to take a long time or really almost no time at all to review, but I do want to get the scripture once again. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Everybody say, give you rest. So the invitation is extended. Come on in. You can put all that stuff down. And it's not the weight of sin as much as it is the weight of how you deal with sin. It's a bunch of religious, the accoutrements, the dressings, the trappings of all the churchianity. Do this, do that, don't do that, don't do that. Okay, and so come to me and he says, I will give you rest. Then verse 29, take my yoke. Walk with me, work with me, watch me. In other words, do life with me. Take my teaching on you, not just as a classroom example or a study, but do life with me. Keep my company. Keep the company of Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. King James says, learn from me. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest. Everybody say, find rest. Find rest for your souls. And lastly, verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I believe that with all of my heart. This morning, we remind you that the reason for this series is to dig down deeper into the practices of Jesus. The title of the message this morning is called Practicing Prayer. And some of you might think that oddly named, but it is something that we practice. We do, just like a physician practices medicine, a Christian practices prayer. And you practice it so that you can get better at it and better at it. And really, it's just about not about grading 
how you do it as much as it is the joy you receive when you begin to know God in a way you've never known him before. That's what Jesus said is eternal life. That's to know God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so the text this morning for this message is just one verse. It is simple, but it's profoundly packed with truth. It says in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, before daybreak, everybody say early. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus, say, got up and went out, say it, to an isolated place to pray. Okay, a whole lot there. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. We're going to talk about the practice of prayer this morning. I have for probably 20 years taught piano students, and there is a a word, framed word picture that's on the wall there in my studio where the, my grand piano is and where the teach the students and this, the, the, the plaque or the framed word art on the wall says, without practice there is no glory, but there is no glory without practice. Okay? So, no, 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 I said it wrong. There is no glory in practice, but without practice there is no glory. Let me, let me get the CD back on the track. It jumped off for a second up here. Y'all ever have that happen? Seems that I've crossed 60 and it kind of jumps the track once in a while. There is no glory in practice, but without practice, there's no glory. Now, that's something that applies to any skill set, whether it's playing golf or whether it's playing the piano, whether it's becoming a better leader, whether it's becoming intentionally a better listener. Um, all the things that you do, you want to practice so that you do them well. You want to be a good teacher. You want to, you want to have a success rate of being able to communicate to students the, the subject matter that you're attempting to teach. You want to be able to lead well in your organization, in your business that you have, by your faith in God and your own hard sweat equity, have basically dug a little hole in the ground, planted a seed, and up has shot this stalk that's grown this fruit of your company. So you want to practice your leadership well. Whatever you do, you want to practice it for the purpose of being able to get better at it. And you know, I I tell students all the time when I teach them, now you've been told your whole life that practice makes perfect, but let me just tell you right now, that's not true. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Think about it. You can practice the wrong golf swing the wrong form, tennis, how you follow through when you swing a bat, how, you, how a quarterback throws a football, how you pull the arrow back and aim at the target in archery. Think about any kind of sport. Think about any kind of skill set, even in public speaking, even in just doing life as a family. I mean, there are just mistakes that we make that we keep making until we finally stop and go, okay, this isn't working. I've got to do something differently. No matter how long you practice it, if you practice it the wrong way, it may be permanent, but it's certainly not perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. And the whole point of that is not about focusing on perfectionism, but it's just about focusing on how we watch Jesus do what he did. Because the the beautiful thing about his life is, unlike the Pharisees and the religious churchianity folks of his day, he was not aloof from. He was always among the people. He 
Don't ever get disconnected from the fact that our Savior is a brown-skinned healer who was a refugee himself when he was a baby. They were running from tyranny. You know, they, they fled because the word of the Lord came to them and the, 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 whole, the whole pursuit of Herod to kill the boy babies and they were tucked away in Egypt hidden and not to be found because God had his hand upon, obviously, his son. He was a refugee. He was one who always empowered women. He was one who always lifted up the oppressed. He was one who willingly laid down his life for us, unlike the culture of the world that we live in so many times that, that fuels the American dream. It's forgetting all of those things, and we get disconnected from the real Jesus of the Bible. And we proof text and quote our favorite verses to make us feel better about our particular political stance when Jesus says, boys, when I come back, I'm not coming to take sides. I'm coming to take over. Come on, somebody. And so we have to approach this thing with some humility and with a willingness to learn. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And when you let me teach you, when you will learn from me, which requires a willingness on my part to say that I don't know it all. Now, I, I have been a person of prayer my whole life, but I am still a student. I'm still learning. I do not come to you as an expert this morning because experts then are under a level of pressure that you can't ever get it wrong. And when you approach life as a student, then even when you occasionally fail, that's part of the process because you learn something in the process. I am still, after having read through the Bible every year, at least once, sometimes twice since I was 18 and I'm 60 now, I am still a student of the Word and not an expert of the Word. I am still learning. There are mysteries that I have yet to uncover. There are, there are volumes of things that I've yet to understand in, in God's will and His goodness and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. As long as you remain a student and you remain teachable, then you are wide open to receiving the wisdom that is from God, the goodness and the knowledge of God that's the beginning of wisdom. I love that. So this morning, we, we look to Jesus as the example to show us how to pray, to teach us how to pray. And my one thing that I bring to you today is very simple. I intentionally simplified it today. I usually try to get one thing, statements in one sentence or at the, at the most two because I'd like for them to be memorable. And here lately, I've been a little bit wordy. And they've been three or four statements because I felt like I had to say all that to get said what needed to be said. But today, it's one simple statement. Say it with me. Here we go. Prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. Once more, like you mean it, prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. That's my very own personal definition. I'm not saying that it's... Um, that, it's that it's unabridged or that it's completely exhaustive. In any way, there are probably parts of it that could be adjusted. But this is how I heard this this week as I prayed and I sought the Lord and said, help me. Because prayer is a huge subject. I don't know if you know that, but there are hundreds of marvelous passages of Scripture in the Bible that we could start with. And I go, okay, how, how do you eat an elephant? You know, as the old Hindu said, one bite at a time. And so we're not going to eat the whole elephant this morning. We're just going to give you a bird's eye view, a flyover of a biblical scriptural view of what prayer is. 
And, and, you know, there are thousands of books that have been written on prayer. There are millions, now I would say there are billions of sermons that have been preached on prayer. Podcasts about prayer. There are schools and seminars on prayer. And you can read the books and go to the seminars. And, and you, can, you, can, you can do all of these things and listen to the sermons and listen to the podcasts. But prayer will never mean anything to until you, everybody say it, do it. That's when it comes alive. That's when, whether I am mature in my walk in God or I'm a brand new believer, prayer is something that God tunes his ears to. First Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. God hears what you have to say. He's interested in the desires that are in your heart. His eyes are over you. His ears are open to your prayers. That's the prayers of the righteous. Now that's not because of any good thing that I've done, but it's because of who I am now in Christ. The righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's a debit credit balance sheet issue. He took my sin, put it on His account. He took my, His righteousness and put it on my account. And now I stand before the Father in right standing. That's what the word righteousness means. I'm in good standing. Like you can go to the bank and you can sign your name and your name is good because it means something. You've got good credit. Our credit is here this morning not because of our righteousness but because of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Come on, put your hands together. God hears my prayers. He hears my prayers especially when I pray in the name of Jesus. It is the power of attorney of the believer. God's given me authority that is in the name of Jesus because I am attached to the family through the name of Jesus. And so prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. Let's just do it. Let's bow our hearts together and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just, we mute all the things that are ahead of us, the lists that are to do, the pressure of the upcoming week, the areas where we missed it last week, the self-accusation and condemnation, Lord, the, just a sense of lack of our purpose and identity that some of us wrestle with in this room, insecurities. Lord, just the, the inadequacy, the feeling of defeat, the tiredness from a pandemic that's stretched on 18 months. Lord, the loss of loved ones and family members and friends. I just, I just acknowledge, Lord, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired of, I preached a funeral last week and I've got a two this week and I just ask you to help me. Help me be an encouragement. Help me let, be the voice within my voice. And I know that that same cloud sometimes just, just hangs over every one of us at different times in our lives and we stop right now and we just say, Lord, Get us in touch again. Rewire us. Make a good connection in our spiritual wiring down to the still, small voice of our spirit. Lord, there's so much drama in media and the news. Just the world's on fire around us. God, I just pray that you help us to quiet ourselves because you're not in the fire, you're not in the flood, you're not in the wind, but you're in the still, small voice. Help us to discern and listen and obey. I need you more than I've ever needed you. Be our ears and our eyes and open our hearts, Lord, to see and hear and understand and perceive. For it is your gospel 
and the power that is in it that we are not ashamed of, but it's the power of God unto complete, full, total deliverance, salvation. It's in the name of Jesus, that power of attorney you've given us to pray with, and we pray that name today. And all of God's people said, amen. Praise God. Prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. Now I want to dive a little deeper and I want to ask the question this morning, what is prayer? I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you have a smartphone or a tablet or a laptop or anything like that at all, you can just pull up your search engine and in your URL bar up at the top, you can just type in the words define and whatever you want a definition of, define prayer. And so I did that this week. It's just easier sitting at my desk in my upstairs office. And I've got literally bookcases wrapped around the whole room in my man cave upstairs. It's all books here, books at the church, books in the attic, books that I've given away. It's crazy. And I'm lazy. I don't want to get up and walk seven feet over there and pull the red Webster's Collegiate Dictionary off of the shelf and open up to prayer and see the multitude of definitions and variations it's going to give me. I just Google it right in front of me and I said define prayer. And so this is what comes up when I define prayer or I said define prayer. This is what Google gave me. A solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God. And I just smiled. I thought that's so good. Father, thank you because I'd already written my one thing. My one thing was out of my own heart Prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. And I immediately saw the pattern. I saw that when I acknowledge his greatness, I can make a solemn request for help and know that he will hear my prayer because he's great. He's powerful enough. He has the ability. He has the dunamis. He has power that's unlimited, okay? And I also know that my focus is not just on my need or what he can do for me, but my focus is also on him his character, his goodness, his nature, and that reflects in what he's already done for me. An attitude of gratitude, a willingness to say thank you for the blessings that you've already poured out in my life. And I just want to say this morning that when we pray, we're never doing it from a standpoint of, of hopefully trying to twist God's arm or wrestle a blessing out of his hands. Because this is a benevolent Father who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3. It's already yours right now. The issue that I have as your pastor is to show you how you can reach out in faith and access all of the blessings of God that are yours in Christ. Are you, are you up for that this morning? If you are, say amen. Okay, so that's what we want to do today. And we want to show you some of the ways that Jesus talked about in prayer. And again, there are myriads of ways. There are thousands of approaches. There are numerous acrostics that you can use to help you to remember prayer. You can use the, the thumb and the hand and the fingers and all this to remember to pray for you and your brothers and sisters and yourself and, and all of those things. There's just a number of different kinds of methods and ways to do it. And there's not one right way. I believe they're all good. They're all right. Okay? And so whatever works for you at the time, the whole point is just to get you connected to the, the Holy Spirit. It's to get you listening to the voice of the Father. It's to get you tuned in to the realm of the Spirit. Okay? Because it's in the invisible, in the realm of the Spirit, where God speaks. And the invisible, at, by faith, becomes visible before us. Faith sees what can't be seen with the natural eye, and it apprehends it, takes a hold of it, calls those things which be not as though they were, and it says, 
by faith and you take hold of it and it becomes manifest in your life. Whether it's healing for a sick person, provision for an individual in need, whether it's direction for someone in confusion, whether it's light for someone in darkness, whether it's salvation for someone who's in sin, whether it's an infilling, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit for someone who feels empty. How many of you know I have been and regularly am those at different times? Lord, I just need your presence. Fill me fresh. Let your Holy Spirit lead in my life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Better said in the original, it says, where the Spirit is Lord, where you let him be Lord, then there is incredible liberty and freedom, and we want that. So this morning we asked the question, what is prayer? And there are, gosh, innumerable great quotes of our spiritual ancestry. Men and women of God who have led revivals, who have raised up denominations that have touched the world, who've been spearheaded movements, who've led prayer with Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians who started a prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. Those who've shaken nations because they were willing to call on the name of the Lord. Folk too often don't recognize the power that is in between their lips and their tongue when they cry out to God. The Bible talks about prayer, but one of the desperate places that the Scripture describes, I remember in the opening of the book of Exodus, it says, the children of Israel, God's people, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them, and he raised up a deliverer. There's a difference in just praying and going through the motions. There's something else when we cry out to God. How many of you know when you cry out to God in faith and in desperation, he can move mountains in your behalf? Put your hands together and give him praise this morning. Great quote here. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. That's from the great Elizabeth Elliot, wife of Jim Elliot, who uh, he and a brother, a number of his brothers were headed into the, help me Holy Spirit, on the Amazon. Yes, thank you. And I'm th- trying to think of the rainforest there. The, the, the rainforest in the Amazon, <laughs> whatever the name of it is. Um, and they were martyred for their commitment to Christ. And Elizabeth Elliot could have given up, and she didn't. She has an amazing testimony. It's a whole message in itself, but became a great woman leader in the body of Christ. Wonderful books written, great messages that she shared. Corey Ten Boom, another great saint of the Lord who's already gone to be with Jesus, Holy Spirit-filled granny in the kingdom of God whose watchmaker father literally hid hundreds of Jews during the time of the Holocaust. She said, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Too often in our humanistic thinking, we think, well, I won't bother God with this because he's too busy taking care of the big stuff in the world. How many of you know God is very aware and has the shoulders broad enough to handle all of your problems and mine and the world's problems and everybody else's? Come on, somebody. The next one, the next one I was shocked at because I, I've, I've taught years of American history uh, in high school and on the co- college level, university level. And I know that as our founder, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm thankful for those who laid their lives down for us. It was Franklin who said, either we shall all hang together or we shall all hang separately. Think about that. He said this. He said, work as if you were to live 100 years. Pray as if you were to die tomorrow. Now, let me just stop and tell you that 
Franklin was not a professing Christian. At best, he was a deist, which is another whole teaching in itself. But uh, there were a host of our founding fathers who were true Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians who acknowledged Jesus Christ not only as the Son of God, but as God the Son, okay? So many here. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, world's famous, world's most famous Baptist pastor, Metropolitan Tabernacle of London, England, years before the, the mega church was ever in, came about. He had 5,000 attending his services in London, had a, had a prayer meeting going on down below in the basement that he called the furnace. There were 200 dedicated men that would meet down there that would pray while he was preaching and souls were saved and London was shaken because of the power of the gospel through the man named Charles Spurgeon. And he said this, he said, what did he say? There it is. He says, groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers which cannot be refused. Coming from Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities which, with groanings which cannot be uttered or understood in a known language. I remember hearing my grandfather pray one time. He was so dismayed and exasperated over the circumstances, he didn't even pray words. He just, he just groaned. Mm, oh, Lord. And just, just halfway sung and prayed at the same time. And I'm telling you that the room was thick. The hair would stand up on your arms because he, he walked with the Lord and he knew Jesus. No words spoken, but he groaned. And I'm telling you, heaven moved at the groanings. When you don't know how to pray. Oh, hallelujah. I sense his presence this morning. The Holy Ghost on the inside of you will groan through you and intercede for somebody that's in dire need. When we stand in the gap, and that's the, the depth of the word of prayer, intercession is standing in the place between God who can and the one who can't, the one who's in need. And we pray and say, God, bring these two together. Intercession brings two together. That's the power of standing in the gap and believing and trusting God. So many amazing, let me just skip. David Bryant, great leader, read his book back in the 90s called The Hope at Hand, talking about revival in America. I took it out recently and just began to read through it again just for some encouragement and a fresh awareness of God sending revival to our nation. He said, leaders must be released from the idea that they must be great prayer warriors before they can begin to call others to prayer. So I come to you this morning not as an expert. I come to you as a student. I'm still learning. I'm still grateful that when I pray, if I will listen, he will speak. Because prayer is not a monologue. It's not me giving my list to my heavenly Santa Claus and getting up and leaving. It is me pausing and listening for the Spirit of the Lord to respond and to speak with an impression, with a picture, with the quickening of a scripture, with a word to my heart like a coal off of his altar. And when he speaks, his words have resurrection power. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John six sixty three. And if we will just learn how to quiet ourselves after we've asked for, made our petition, given our supplication, if we will stop and just quiet ourselves and listen, I promise you, you will learn to discern the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just quickened one more to me. i got to get this. So good. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Oswald Chambers, the writer of the great Christian devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, said this. He said, God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize. 
but that we may intercede. Y'all hearing that? If you have any ability to perceive, if you are a, quote, as the world would say, a good judge of character, and be careful with how you use the word judge, there's a godly way and there's an ungodly way. We're not talking about being judgmental, but we're talking about discerning. If you have a prophetic personality, I've learned over the years that people with prophetic personalities are one of two kinds of people. Either you are highly critical of everybody around you and everything that's ever done, or you are a deep person of prayer. Because there's only two things you can do with things you see. You either take it to God and pray over it, or you mouth about it. I've got two people in the room that got that and said amen to it. So when you see things, remember that God's shown you something not for the purpose of criticizing, but for the purpose of praying and interceding about it. And you know, that doesn't mean that you go to your little group and you go, now y'all, I don't mean this is gossip, but this is just a prayer request. So if you would just (laughs) pray with me about sister bottle stopper. Y'all still love me this morning? It's right whether you do or not. One more and I'm finished. If biblical Christianity is to survive the present world upheaval, we shall need to have a fresh revelation of the greatness and the beauty of Jesus. He alone can raise our cold hearts to rapture and restore again the art of true worship. A.W. Tozer, one of my truly favorite authors and heroes of the faith. Somebody say amen. So what is prayer? Prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. Point number two, be persistent. Be persistent. Luke 18, it's two parables. It's the parable of the persistent widow and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let me just jump in, give you the text, and I'm not going to comment, but just a little bit. So Jesus says one day he told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. King James says, pray and not faint. And that Bible word, the, the Greek word for faint is not, oh, where's my fainting couch? But it's not quitting. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. I love you, sweetheart, but you're too soon. Hang on, you're okay. You're all right. You're, you give, me some, give me some traveling music and I'll wrap this up. I didn't mean to embarrass you. I was just playing. You thought I said last point? I can go ahead and, no, here, here we go. I'm messing with her. She was a student, piano student of mine for about six years, so she knows how to put up with me. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. That's the worst kind of person to be in the position of a judge. He says, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. Evidently, it was part of his campaign. (laughs) He said, I don't fear God and I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I love that. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is WMO. Everybody say WMO, wearing me out. She is wearing me out with her constant requests. 
Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out? There it is. Everybody say, cry out. Who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? God says, you know what? I, I, I want to know that you have faith that will keep on keeping on, that won't quit, that won't faint, that won't, won't give up. I, I, I want you to see that you will persist. That just because you prayed the first time and don't get the answer doesn't mean that you need to just give up and quit. Sometimes there are things that stand in your way. Daniel fasted and prayed and when he finally got the answer, the angel, the, the warring angel Michael showed up and he said, you know what, I heard you 21 days ago, but I've been fighting a battle in the heavens. And I want you to know that when you make a commitment to pray, you're going to face a level of spiritual warfare like you've never faced before. But God will walk into the trenches with you and you will come out more confident because you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Somebody help me and say Amen. So don't quit. That's the, that's the bottom line. All I'm going to say, don't, everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. The next one is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. This is second pew pianicide, elder brother spirit, first churchianity church, Okay. And they're better than everybody else. And they're going to look down their nose at you and remind you that they're better than you. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. So we have the upright, upstanding, highly respected people in the community that are part of all the service clubs. They're in the Rotary Club and the Kiwanis Club and this club and that club, and they raise funds for this area of need and sit on the deacon board and lead the choir and all these kinds of things. But they don't live from a place of living freedom in their heart. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Listen to this. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. You can just hear the self-righteousness and the judgment. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Now, just the unmitigated gall to stand in a holy place, pray out loud so that everybody under the sound of your voice can hear you and pay attention and know that you're praying and draw attention to yourself. It's all attention-seeking. It's all about look at me and who I am. But then he has the unmitigated gall to say, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that man. Says it out loud. I mean, you know, at least most of us, when we have thoughts like that, we have more sense than to say it. We think it. I mean, let's just tell the truth. I have those kinds of thoughts. Oh, well, you know, at least I'm not like them. And then the Spirit of God convicts me and goes, no, no, you're worse if you keep thinking like that. And he says, he lists all of his stuff. He says, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed the scripture in the King James says that he bowed his head and he beat his chest. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, the NLT says, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. He acknowledged who he was. 
Verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. So whether or not God hears your prayer really has a whole lot to do with the heart from which you pray. It's not about a bunch of flowery words and quoted scripture because all of that can just be outward external nonsense. BS, and I don't mean Bible study. I'll let you interpret. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Point number one was don't quit. The principle from this is God loves humility. God, I need you. God, show me. I'm a student, not an expert. Teach me. I'm teachable. I take your yoke. I want to learn from you. Last point. Here we are. Inherent power. Philippians is the story of the Apostle Paul who is writing a letter from a jail cell. A move of God has taken place on the side of the river with a with a woman by the name of Lydia who's a seller of purple and revival breaks out and, and Philippi is touched by the presence of God and the gospel starts to spread and, and, and Paul is in jail. He's chained between two praetorian guards and yet the whole four chapters is all about the immeasurable joy that he has in spite of suffering. That's still my mantra. It became my mantra after my wife passed and it's on walls in my house in several different places. Choose joy. Today I choose joy. And I wake up, my eyes pop open, I throw the covers off of myself, and I get up and I say, Father, today I choose joy. Joy is a person. It's Jesus. I choose Jesus. Even if I'm having a moment, a, a fitful night's sleep, in a dream, remembering dawn, just wake up in a funk. I know none of you ever have that happen to you. But I wake up and just already, if there's a wrong side of the bed, I got up on it and just hurt and grieving and angry and frustrated. And why? Why does this stuff still keep chasing me? And in the middle of it, sometimes I have to say it gritted, with gritted teeth, with real faith. And I say, God, I choose joy in spite of, over and above and beyond what I'm experiencing. I look to and I reach into Jesus for joy. Because joy is outside of my happenings. It's, it's bigger than happiness. Happiness is, is like a thermometer. It's going to be by the temperature of the room. But joy is a thermostat. It can set the temperature of my life. In the middle of two guards, Paul says this. He, he, he says in that fourth chapter, he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. You know what the, the Greek word for rejoice means? Everybody say lighten up. Brighten up. That's literally what rejoice means. Have joy. Have it again. Rejoice. Lighten up. Brighten up. Come on, some of you. you some of you this morning, you, you came, and I, know, I hope you're glad you're here, but I'm going to tell you, you need to lighten up. Look at your neighbor and say, lighten up. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. See, that's that, what, that was my one thing right there. Prayer is my response to God's greatness. Tell him what you need. It's my response to his goodness. Thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience. Oh, I love this. So many places in the Bible have an if-then clause to them. If you will do this, then I will do this. If my people, which are called by my name, then I will 
hear them and heal their land and forgive their sins. If then, if then, if then. And God presents us with an if. He says, you know what? If you will just not waste all of your time worrying and being anxious. I saw a meme a few weeks ago that said, you know, worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it ain't going to take you anywhere. You just a rocking. What is that? The Billy Joe Cyrus song or something. What is it? I'm, I'm hearing it. Okay, that's, that's not the Holy Ghost. All right, let me pull back in here. Don't worry about anything. It said pray about everything. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. King James says it will keep your hearts and minds. And I love it because the, the, the Greek word literally means guard, to garrison about. A garrison is a group of soldiers. Paul was literally saying, what I'm experiencing right here between these these two guards who are guarding me, that's what the peace of God will do in your life. If you will choose to not let anxiety take over you, but you will pray about everything and be thankful. King James says, be anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, guard, garrison, guard your hearts through Jesus Christ. Wow, I love it. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes the world. Sometimes prayer stops the storm. Sometimes prayer changes the heart of the one in the middle of the storm. Prayer is my response to God's greatness and his goodness in my life. We hope that you'll come back tonight at 6. Going to have an extended time of worship. Going to hear from Margot Laneve, wonderful woman of God, great ministry, speaking ministry herself. Prayer has changed her life, and she's going to share some things with us. It's her testimony and just a little quick teaching, five or seven minutes and about eight minutes of her testimony, about 15 minutes total. They're going to break into groups in the four corners of the room. We've got great leaders that are going to help us. Donna Anita Bell, Chris and Dorothy Wilson, Brad and... um, Johnson, they're not here, Jennifer, they're not here tonight, so we'll have three groups. And then our our fourth group, who was it? Carla. Who? Yes, yes, the Leneves. Thank you. I I don't have my list in front of me, so I didn't want to leave anybody out. But we've got great leaders. We're going to have questions on the screen, just five. Going to get a chance to share some of your experiences. If you don't feel like talking, that's fine. But if you want to, it'll be a safe place where you can share a struggle you've had, share a prayer request, or maybe share a victory, how God's helped, brought you a breakthrough when you've prayed and he's answered. That kind of stuff strengthens other people. It, it grows faith. And so in lieu of or in the place of life groups, we're going to meet four Sunday nights this month, starting tonight, 6 o'clock. We'll have you out of here by 7.15. Some groups may finish a little bit early and you can mingle in the lobby and have, have a good time talking and fellowshipping. But real quick, four practical steps to develop the habit. Number one, decide. You want to be a prayer person? Decide. Make up your mind. Decide. You can go to seminars. You can read books. You can listen to sermons. You can do podcasts. But until you actually get down to pray, you never until you just do it, it's not going to be real to you. Everybody say Decide. Number two, set a time. Set a time. Jesus got up before daybreak, went out to a solitary place, and he prayed. Set a time. Set a time. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your phone. If you get up at 6.30, set your clock for 6.20 or your alarm for 6.20 and get up, get up and give God 10 minutes and open your Bible and get your cup of coffee or whatever you like. Somebody says, well, pastor, I'm not a morning person. Listen, we are not legalists about this. 
You're not more holy than others because you're a morning person. Now, look, I'm an eagle. I wake up before the sun comes up. I've got my coffee. I'm sitting at my desk. I've got some worship music playing. I've got, I'm creating an atmosphere. I've got a place. I've got a time. I go before the Lord. I speak to him. I call upon his name regarding you, things that have been sent into our, our, our prayer line, our front line prayer ministry, some, certainly things that if you've written on the back of your Connect cards and you've dropped in the offering that you want us to pray for, I get those usually by Tuesday. Marissa will send those to everyone on staff and the lead team. We pray over those things that you send in. And so we're standing in faith with you for the needs that you have. But I want you to know that until you learn to tap into and to call upon the Lord and, and recognize that you don't need somebody else to do your praying for you, but you can touch God yourself. Come on, somebody. When I make a time, then I'm more likely to follow through. Set an appointment with God and don't cancel his appointment. You, you'll never have a successful business always canceling on people. So make a time and show up. Be faithful to it. Okay, even if you're a few minutes late, just come on and show up. Okay, and if you're not an eagle or you're a hoot owl, if you know what, if if you come alive at eleven o'clock at night, bless your heart. I'm already been asleep for an hour and a half when you're getting started. Bless you. Open your Bibles. Get you something decaffeinated that you can sit down and drink and. And pray and pray the word and ask God to speak to your heart and get you a journal and jot some things down. If it's 11 o'clock at night, if it's high noon, if it's 4.30 in the morning, whenever it is, set your time. Give God your best time. If you're not a morning person, the worst thing you can do is say, okay, well, I'm going to give God my best. And you just show up, just sleep drunk. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And please do not think that you're, you're spiritual enough that you're going to just lay in the bed and pray because the battle of the mattress will win. <laughs> the battle of the blankets will defeat you. You'll end up dozing back. <sighs> Glory to God. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Oh, it must have been the Holy Ghost. Snore and wake yourself up. <laughs> I remember... When I was in Bible school, one smart aleck friend of mine who I love dearly called his bed the word. And nobody else knew but me that he called his bed the word because he said, I'm going home this afternoon, going to spend the afternoon in the word. I just roll my eyes. Decide, set a time, get a place, whatever it is. You know what? I can pray anywhere at any time, but there's something about my desk in my upstairs office, my books around me, my hot coffee there, and got a little bit of worship music on. That place, that, that place is holy to me. It's where I meet the Lord. It's where I pray and seek the face of God. It's where I write the messages that I bring to you. And finally, this morning, and I'm finished, prepare for resistance. Because when you make a decision to seek the face of God, the enemy will do everything he can to prevent you from doing what you've set out to do. Because you become an, an unmeasurable force for good and for the kingdom of God, for light which dispels darkness when you decide that you're going to pray, whether you feel like it or not, whether you're in the mood or not. And you know something? You're going to pray, and when you do, you get down there, you're going to remember stuff you hadn't remembered in 42 years. I was praying the other day, and I remembered an incident that happened to me when I was five. A little kid lied on me, and I was being kept as a babysitter, by the kid's mama. Of course, the mama believed her child. And I went home and told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm not lying. God's my witness. I'm not telling, I'm not telling the false. This is true. And got in trouble from the babysitter. 
And this is back when babysitters spanked kids, and I got a spanking, and I'm just thinking, okay, there's nothing righteous about this. I didn't know those terms when I was five, but I was still thinking this ain't right. And I just had that, I recall that. I had that memory the other day, and I just said, Father, I forgive that her. She's probably forgotten that she's lied on me. And, and just let it go. You know, how many of you know sometimes things come up because God in, intends for you to deal with them? Speak to it. Something that you're not proud of, a mistake you made, a sinful pattern maybe that can perennially come around and trip you up. Acknowledge it. Take it before the Lord. Ask God for strength to be released, healing, liberty in Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? Have you got anything out of this? Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. As they bring the lights down this morning, I'm just going to ask you if you would bow your hearts with me, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Anything today that you need in this place, God's strength and power, his ability. Prayer is my response. Right now it's your response to his greatness and his goodness in your life. And so anything that you need that you feel like is too big, too difficult, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, would you slip your hand up, please? I want to pray for you. Yes. Already, there's already three hands went up. Anybody else in the room? Yes, there's another fourth one. Anyone in the room who's never crossed the line of faith and asked Jesus to come into your heart and to be your Savior, your Lord, you want to be prayed for this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. But right there where you are, you can make that place an altar. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life today before you leave this place, slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Hallelujah. Let's pray together today. And I'd like for you, all of you, with heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, let's lift up our voices, every one of us. If we're all praying, then we're not worried about somebody else hearing us. And so let's go before him now and do what we've been talking about. Put these words in your mouth and reiterate them. Here we go. Heavenly Father, say it. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the gift of prayer. My response to your greatness and your goodness in my life. I need you. Pour your Holy Spirit out upon me. I trust you. Jesus, save me. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life. My circumstance is bigger than I can handle. But you can handle it, Lord. I refuse to be anxious. I, I lean into you. Let your peace, wholeness, soundness, prosperity, blessing be in my life. I lean into you, Jesus. Thank you for answering my prayer. Lead me and guide me and guard me by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all of God's people said, put your hands together.